And, uh, you know, and, and so as I've been praying and really just uh, asking the Lord about uh, really this message and what it needed to be because, uh, you know, we just made the decision, I guess it was whatever it was, a week or two ago that we were going to push our launch date back to a week or push it back a week. So I hadn't planned on preaching this message today. And uh, so, you know, I do what I do. And uh, so I went to prayer and just started asking the Lord. And uh, I really felt stirred uh, in my heart in the area of faith and uh, really teaching on faith. And so, but as I begin to pray some more about it, the Lord began to take me, it's still along that same line, but really in a different direct, not a different direction, but a, a, an angle that I believe, and I'm going to say this, and those of you that have been around know I don't throw this around very much, but I believe it's prophetic for the moment. And, uh, and I wouldn't say that if I didn't actually believe that. And so this is what I'm going to ask from you this morning is to listen. And because it's not just what I'm saying, I, I want to, we're going to walk through a story in the Bible together. Uh, some of you it'll be familiar to, some of you it won't. But I believe it has great uh, wisdom for us, uh, for all of us moving forward. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Numbers chapter 13. You're like, I'm not sure where that is. Start at Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fourth book of the Bible. And, uh, you know, so that's important to know because I realize that not everybody just goes to Numbers to read all the time. And, uh, but uh, this is the account and the story of the children of Israel. I'll give you the backstory. Uh, many of you have heard about Moses delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt where they were enslaved for a long time. And so, uh, really, they're in the wilderness and they're getting ready to go to the promised land. Now, they had wandered for 40 years and all these things because of doubt and unbelief. Unbelief matters greatly. And it's not just that we have to be faith-filled people. We need to make sure that unbelief doesn't get hold in our heart. And because ultimately, that's what happened to the children of Israel. And uh, so they're wandering people. Now, God never called them to be a wandering people. When he called them out of Egypt, he had a place for them to go. In other words, he had already made a home for them, but yet they chose, because of their decisions, because of their unbelief, they became a wandering people, which was not God's will. It was not God's will for them to be wanderers. It was not that at all. As a matter of fact, they were meant to be uh, conquerors. They were meant to be settlers. That was who God had called them and really destined them for. And so this, we're going to pick up the story right at the tail end of this, right before, um, you know, kind of on the end of what all is happening. And so uh, they get close, though. Uh, and so this is kind of, I gave you a little bit, probably more detail than you needed to know, but... This is, gives you kind of a picture of the moment. So here in Numbers chapter 13, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Dylan, you're not going to have these scriptures, by the way, just so you know. Not these couple. And they want you freaking out. They just had to switch out back there. You'd be like, what's going on? Um, but uh, here in verse 1, it says, The Lord uh, now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Cana, the land that I am giving to the Israelites. The land that I'm giving, let me say it this way, to them. Not to a couple, not to a few, to them, to the whole nation. I'm giving you a land. That was God's plan. That was God's purpose. That was God's will. Um, and so he gives more instructions to Moses. He says, send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him to do. And so, so God is what? He's giving instructions saying, hey, look, I want you to send 12 men to the promised land to go check it out and see if it's not what I said it was. Like, here's the promise. You can see it. You know what it is? Moses, just go confirm that it is what I said. And so he selects 12 men, one from each tribe of, of the nation of Israel. And he says, y'all go check this out. And so he picked these 12 men. And it says, 
In verse 25 of Numbers 13, it says, After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. It says, They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. It says, uh, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land that you sent us to explore. And it is indeed a bountiful country. So hey, this is a good place, Moses. Man, you said God was going to take us to a beautiful place that had all the resources that we, that we needed. And, all, and man, it is. It's awesome. Look at the fruit. Look at the grapes. I mean, this stuff's amazing. It says, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the kind of fruit that it produces. Verse 28. Now... You're going to hear this word a couple times in these next few verses. But. But. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, I mean, Moses, look. We've been out here in the wilderness. Man, God's taking it. We went. It's exactly what you said. Like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. But. The people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We saw uh, giants there. The descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. Now, those were all powerful nations, people groups. So they live in the country. It says the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So in other words, that God has already said, this is what's going to happen. This is the way it's going to look. And they're saying, yeah, but... This is all going on. And then it says in verse 30, but, we've got another but. So second one. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses and said, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. So you got some naysayers and you got some people saying, nope, God said it, dadgummit, let's do it, right? Like, it doesn't matter. We are well, other translations say we are well able. Not maybe, kind of, sort of. I mean, you, would, you know, I mean, I've shared this before, but logic would tell you if it was God's perfect plan, why are there giants? Why are there strong people holding it? Why, why is the country secured and yet God's going to send a wandering people who are military, who have no real experience in battle to go conquer these strong nations? Because it was the promise of God. This is my held belief in this, is that those strong people... And those giants were God's insurance policy that only people of faith would ever take that land. That an unbelieving people would never step into the promised land. Ever. And so, you know, and we see this here. So we have two opinions going on. The people are like, oh my gosh, there's giants. And Caleb says, nope, we're well able. Verse 31, it says, here's the third but. But the other men... Who had explored the land with him disagreed. Oh, hello. Says we cannot go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Verse 32. So they spread a bad report. They spread a bad report. They begin chit-chatting, yang-yang, backbiting. Like, oh, this, this isn't good and that isn't good. No, man, the, those giants are really big. Like, I saw the six-fingered man over there. You know, he was there. I saw him. He was counting all 12 fingers, and it was crazy, and they're just massive. And they're spreading a bad report. What was the bad report? We are not able to do this. This is beyond what we can do. Well, the problem was they were looking at themselves, not at God. That was the problem. So they begin to spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. Now, what was the bad report? 
hey, there's plenty of food, there's plenty of water, it's beautiful. We're, we're by the ocean, I mean, it's at the beach, you know. I mean, what was the bad report? Said the land that we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who lives there. Well, we know that's a lie because people live there. So we know that's not true. So we know, absolutely, that statement's not factual. Because it wasn't an uninhabited land. It wasn't like God took them to Antarctica and said, Hey, it's covered in snow right now, but I'm going to melt it all. And there's beauty under like all this snow. You just can't see it, but that's your front. No, it was beautiful. And yet because of a lack of, of really uh, eyes of faith, they couldn't see what God was doing. It says the land devours people who live there. All the people we saw were huge. It says we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. It says next to them we felt like grasshoppers. And that's, what we, and that's what they thought too. See, I've shared with you over the last couple of months about what I believe that God is doing through this moment. Is that God wants to do exponentially something greater than what we have seen here or even what uh, GSC has seen. I think that that's just the starting block of what God is doing. I believe the potential of, of this moment is way beyond what any of us can see but there's only one way it's going to come to pass. It's going to be because of faith. It's not going to be because, well, we can't do this. And, well, you know, this and, well, that. And, oh, well, we could have done. It requires vision. It requires spiritual vision. In other words, allowing God to give you a purpose and something that you see that's beyond the moment and beyond the preference of the moment. Why? Because we are here for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to make Jesus famous and to make sure that his kingdom is growing. And so I believe with all of my heart that this moment can be amazing. But guess what? It can't rest on just a few people. It won't happen. And the truth is, is that God's purposes will be fulfilled. They will be. He's God. It just, it's just the truth. The question is, is will we get to experience it? Will we get to be a part of the story? Or will we lack faith, give in to unbelief or, or discord or offense or whatever it may be that will rob us of the promised land? Because for years and years and years, and I'll say this, the longer that you've been a part of North Point, the more this message applies to you. And you're like, well, that doesn't seem fair. It's just the facts. You know, I've come to the conclusion this week. I finally figured something out the other day. Is that I don't mind change at all. Like, change doesn't bother me. For a long time, I thought, I don't really like change. I don't mind change. I, I don't like transition. I don't like the, the awkwards in-betweens, the here's and the there's. I just want to get there, and yet there's a process of things that need to take place. There's always a purpose for every moment. I shared about that last week, times and seasons. You've got to recognize the moment. God, what are you doing in me? You know, over these last few months, I look back now, and I realize where there's some areas that I've really grown in, even during this moment. And yet it would have been easy just to kick back and just say, ah, there's no purpose for this. I'm just, I'm in cruise. No, there was a purpose. You know, and so even as we see throughout the storm, we're going to continue reading here. 
about what happens because the question is not will God's purpose be fulfilled. It it absolutely will. Are we going to jump on board with it? Are we going to be there to experience the milk and the honey and the promises and all that God had planned? See, they had an inferiority complex. They said, well, man, we felt like grasshoppers next to them. We're just these, who are we? And man, we felt like that and we definitely look like that in their eyes. Well, you can go and read later on in the story of the nation of Israel that there were large nations who were deathly afraid of the nation of Israel. Not because of their mighty power, not because of their military power, but because God was moving on behalf of God was fighting battles for them. They're like, oh my gosh. I like one scripture. It says that their hearts melted like wax. (laughs) They were just afraid. Like, oh my gosh, don't let them come our way. So this is before all of that though. This is in the process of time. Starting in verse, or chapter 14, verse 1. So we we left off in 33, picking up in verse 1. Literally, the story is still being exactly just going. It says, then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they all cried, or they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. We got a revolt on our hands. We got a coup going on. And it says, if only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? What a crazy statement. What a crazy statement. Wouldn't it have been better to go back to Egypt? To slavery? To bondage? Like, do you remember the taskmasters, those guys who just put impossible demands upon you every day? To make bricks? And and when you made bricks, they just kept taking your resources away more and more and more? To say, hey, but we're going to take all your resources away, but now we're going to double the amount of work. And yet they're saying, it was better... Verse 4, it gets even better. It says, they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and let's just go back to Egypt. Let's just go back to Egypt. It's kind of crazy. Think about what's going on here. Verse 5, it says, then Moses and Aaron, which were... Moses was the leader of the nation. Aaron was the the high priest. It says, fell down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and uh, Caleb of whoever, tore their clothes. I'm not even going to attempt to say his name. It says, they said to all the people, the full land traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. It's a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, He will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of that land. They are only helpless prey to us. Got to love Joshua and Caleb. They're my kind of folks. They're gutsy folks. They're bet the farm kind of people. They're not going to play it safe kind of people. I like that. I'm going to trust God and what it, no matter how foolish it may seem, God, you said this, you got to do it. I'm just here to do whatever you need me to do, but this is your deal. And Joshua, and I love how he says it. These people are only helpless prey. Hunting season is upon us. And it is. He goes on, he says, they have no protection. 
But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. Here's the response. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Who are these faith people? They just want us to go out there and die. You got two out of 12 who are saying, the Lord said, and I know what the Lord said. And 10 of them are going, "Uh uh-uh, not today. It ain't going to happen. Now, like, we know how to get this, you know, because remember, they're spreading a bad report. I mean, and I didn't say that. God said that about them, that they spread a bad report. And you've got Joshua and Caleb, two men who have hearts full of faith saying, no, we are well able. God will fight the battle for us. God will go ahead of us. God will send angels to fight if he needs to. But it doesn't matter. That land belongs to us. We know that. I mean, they all knew the promise of God was that that was their land. But yet only two of them had the faith to actually possess it. That two of them had that, that trust, that ability to say, God, if you said it, I'm gonna do, you're going to do it. Now, we're going to skip over some of this, but Moses begins to pray for the nation, which is a good thing because God was ready to kill them. That's the truth. You can go read it. And these, I mean, I'm not, that's really what happened. Moses begins to pray and says, God, what are people going to say about you? You've got a reputation. That, you can go read it. I'm not exaggerating. That's actually what he says. What will people think of the God of Israel if you kill everybody? You rescue them out of Egypt to bring them out here and just slaughter them? That's not a good PR move, God. People are going to talk bad about you. So it picks up here in verse 20. And the Lord says, I will pardon them as you have requested. God's mad. Like he ain't kind of mad. He's angry. And yet he says because Moses prays. He says, I will pardon them as you have requested, but, there's another but. As surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. God says, look, I'm not going to kill them, but they're not going to the promised land either. No, I won't allow it. I will not allow unbelief to go occupy my promise. God says, hey, I got my conditions too to them. says, they have seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs that I perform both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. So really, you could say obedience. It says, they have never seen the land that I swore to give their ancestors. Or they will never see the land that I've sworn to their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude. Another translation would say it this way, is that Caleb was of a different spirit. He he was of a different place, a different vision, a different mindset, an attitude than what these other guys had. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land that he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. His descendants, he and his family, they're going to go and they're going to get everything I promised them. Why? Because they had faith. Because they trusted in God. Because they wouldn't back off of what they knew in their heart. That God had promised. So there's some more prayer. Some more conversation that happens with Moses. And then into verse 30. You're like well what about, what about Joshua? I thought he was, he was a man of faith too. Well in verse 30 it says. And, and now God is referring and talking to the nation of Israel. He says that you, um, in verse 30, you will not enter or occupy the land that I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Joshua, and, or will be Caleb and Joshua. 
That was the only exception to the rule. And you can go and, and, and look at history and the way that it happened. And the Bible says before <clears throat> the children of Israel went into the promised land, that the only two living from that generation were Joshua and Caleb. And God said, I will not let you possess the promised land until I get all of that unbelief out. Because they refuse to obey me. They refuse to listen. They refuse to trust me. They will never step into that promised land. And so God waited until every single person of that generation had passed away. You're like, well, that stinks for Joshua and Caleb. It was 40 years. God says, you're going to give me a year for every day. That's not very nice. Because it says for 40 days they went and explored the land. And for 40 days they had unbelief. And he says, I want a year for every day. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years while a whole generation died off. And, but the interesting thing is it says that Joshua and Caleb entered that land with the same strength that they had had 40 years before. In other words, while everybody else died off and got sick, and all, they stayed strong. One translation says that, that their eyes weren't even remotely dimmed. They were just as, it's like 40 years have gone by and you're like, man, you don't change at all, do you? No, but it's the, the power of the Lord. See, of all, all the promised places that God has for every one of us will only ever be found by faith. You'll never get there any other way. Every promise of God that you see throughout Scripture which there are hundreds and thousands of promises from God. People want to say, oh, well, God's sovereign. He does what he wants when he wants. Wait, that doesn't agree with Scripture. Like, yeah, but God's almighty. Just because he can doesn't mean he will. He gives us free choice. He gives us free will. I mean, he says it this way. Joshua actually says it. That the Lord speaking to him says, today I'm going to set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Please choose the right thing. That's my translation, but he said, I'm going to put it right here before you. Which one you want? Life, death, blessing, which one you want? You want to trust in yourself? You want to trust in the Lord? Which one? What you going to do? I mean, so anything that we have in our hearts, you know, I know that as I look around the room, I can see there are some of you who have been a part of this church for a long time, who have prayed for a long time. And if you're not careful, this moment can throw you because it looks differently than what you've prayed for. But you're not recognizing that this is what you've prayed for. It just looks differently. It looks different. You're like, well, I don't understand. Join the club sometimes. I don't always understand the Lord. Most of the time I don't. Until later on and then there's hindsight and it's like, oh, I didn't see all that. <laughs> My bad. Like I didn't recognize that God was in all of this moment. But in the moment I couldn't see it. And so many times that happens. And so you know we can't get caught up in circumstances or moments. Or no we've got to have a heart of faith. We've got to be like Joshua and Caleb that are of a different spirit. No I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to watch God do the miraculous. I'm going to watch God change my city. I'm going to watch God use our church to do something amazing. Before any of But see, that takes faith. I'll remind you, six months ago, before any of this was known, and I've shared it with you since, there was a, a deal that I had written up that was really strong in my heart called The Church I See. And one of the statements that I had written in there, which was 
I believe was the Lord, was that we would be a church that would no longer be ignored. Or just in the peripheral of, of society. We're going to the most expensive, most well-seen building in our community. And we're not just setting up church for a weekend. It's highly visible. Not the reason that we chose it, but it does facilitate a lot of our needs. So it's the best fit that we can find right now. Like, how long are we going to be there? What if you never leave? You're like, well, why would we never leave? What if the church was a thousand people? You're like, oh, that couldn't happen in our town. Says who? You say it can't be a thousand. I would say, why can't it be two thousand? You're like, I don't know about that. That's fine. I was just talking to Pastor Sam here two weeks ago, three weeks ago. He was telling me about a, a church that he just went to. It was a thousand people, and the city is 2,500. You think they have a voice in their community? Like, oh, 2,500 people in the city. He's got 1,000 people coming to church every weekend. I'm not saying that that's, I'm not prophesying, oh, well, they're going to be in that facility forever. I don't know. But I do know this, for it to be more than what it is today, it's going to require faith. It's going to require being intentional. And why settle for, I mean, you know, I'll say it this way just because I put it into context. Why settle for 500? That would make it the largest church in our city. I'm not here to build a big church. You shouldn't be here to build a big, a big church. We want to see that the kingdom of God advances and makes a difference in people's hearts and lives. So take the limits off. Like, well, Man, what, what would that be like? What would that look like? I don't know. We have the opportunity to find out. But it's going to require faith. Like, Man, that just seems like so much. Yeah. Anything worth doing is a lot of work. I mean, you know, when me and Darren moved here, we renovated our kitchen. It was a lot of work. I'm really glad we did it, though. But it was a lot of work, a lot of late nights. But we've been able to enjoy it. My wife definitely enjoys it a lot more because she's not in this little closed-off kitchen. It's nice and open. She doesn't feel like she's in a closet doing dishes. But it took a lot of work. Anything worth doing is going to take some work. So what do you do? You roll up your sleeves. You get busy. You have that heart of faith that says, look... God, I may be loading a speaker in, but somebody's going to hear the gospel this morning through this speaker. This speaker is a tool for the gospel. Man, I'm tired of carrying in this kid's stuff. I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of doing that. Okay. So go back to Egypt. Because the promised land's ahead, not behind. Look, the past is not bad. It's a part of the story. But God's will is ahead, not behind. Best days are ahead, not behind. Like, yeah, but it's going to look different. Of course it is. You're going to look different in a year too. Some of us will still have hair. Some of us will have less hair. 
some of us will be as bald as ever, right? <laughs> you make bald beautiful. You make bald beautiful. I pick on Matt because I know he can handle it. He's got good, good, good strong shoulders. No, but you have to have this eye of faith, this heart for the kingdom of God that says, I will not settle. And I don't want to be like the naysayers. And I don't want to sit back and just be the critic with an opinion, but no help. To be a critic takes nothing. Takes nothing to be a critic. Other than you're in the way. And I say it because I love you. One of my favorite stories in scripture is Nehemiah. He had three guys that chattered the whole time. About the whole story. Just critics. They threatened him. They did all kinds of stuff. He said, oh, the work I'm doing is too great to come and deal with your nonsense. Go read the story. The work I'm doing is too great. I'm not going to get distracted with something that doesn't matter. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. It doesn't matter. I've got a great work to do. Well, guess what? God's got a great work for you to do. Don't allow somebody or the enemy or even your own thoughts betray you. Why? Because there's a promised land to move into. But it's going to require faith. And sometimes faith is, I know what I feel, but I'm going to step outside of that. I know what I see, but I know this is the Lord. I, you know, I heard this, but this is God's church. He's in charge of this. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to be of help, to be of support, to be of aid. It requires faith. Anything for God requires faith. It required faith for them to take the promised land in spite of all the giants. And guess what? They took the promised land in spectacular fashion. It didn't all happen at one, in one day. As a matter of fact, God sent them to the strongest, most fortified city first. So if you're insecure, go take that big one. We know it as Jericho. The biggest, the strongest. They never lifted a finger. And God destroyed the city. Why? Because it took people of faith. I mean, you want to talk about faith. Go conquer that city. What are we to do? Go walk around it every day, but be quiet. It's just a curious thing. Why did God tell them to be quiet? Got my assumptions. You ever heard the phrase, loose lips sink ships? Y'all just shut up. Y'all just go walk. Do what I tell you to do. Seventh day, y'all go walk seven times. Y'all about to see something y'all ain't never seen before. When you blow that trumpet, a shout goes up and the walls fell down and they charged the city. That was the start. Needless to say, after that, they were a little bit more uh, confident. They weren't, so, they weren't thinking, oh, we're just grasshoppers. We're not so small. We're not so insignificant. Why? It wasn't them. They didn't do anything. They just did do it. They were obedient. They just did what the Lord said. God took care of it. And God brought about what he was doing. Many of you know this verse, but Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it says that without faith it's impossible to please God. Impossible. There's few things in the Bible that I can find that it says that 
it's impossible that God would sign off on saying something. But he does say, if you want to please me, it's going to take some faith. Because it's impossible to do it without faith. So you're like, well, how do I do this? You know, I understand. I mean, you're, you're charging me up and you're, you're kind of giving me this moment, if you will. But how do I do this? It's pretty simple. It's not complicated. I can just tell you this. This is what I've learned about God. He's a lot less complicated than we make him. I flip over. We complicate things. We want it to be, you know, you got to do this. You got to jump through this hoop. You got to back flip over here. You got to do this. God doesn't do that. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, this is how you do this with a, with a heart of faith. Now, this is coming out of Hebrews chapter 11, which we would refer to as the hall of faith. Basically, it's God's bragging list of people, of people uh, of the past who had lived in faith. And so he just goes through this one, this one, this one, this one. And so in, in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, we are called to be a life of faith. That's what we're called to live. Like, well, what does that mean? Living a life of faith is not looking at what is just visible, but it's believing that God is almighty. God can do this. Faith means being confident even when you can't see results. Faith means action. But faith also brings results. I'm a result-oriented guy. I have my list and I like to check my list. I am results-oriented. I like crossing stuff off. I like my list. Why? Because it tells me I did something. Right? It's just the way my mind works. But faith gets results. So it says, hey, we're called to this life of faith. So how are we going to do this? It says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. That's every attitude, every thought, every preference that slows us down, especially the sin. So just because you have some weight doesn't mean that it's sin, but there still can be areas of our life that are sin. It says, especially sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance, patience. Everybody's favorite word. Let us run with patience, endurance, the race that God has set before us. The promised land is before you. The finish line is ahead of you, not behind you. As long as you're breathing, the finish line is still ahead of you. Like, when do I finish my race? When you quit breathing. That's when. Like, well, I'm done running. Fill in the blank, right? Just saying. Let us run with patience, endurance, the race that God has set before us. He says, we do this. So how do we run? This is how we run. This is how we move forward. This is how we have a heart of faith. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Says the champion who initiates and protect or perfects our faith. One translation will say it this way. Is that Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. One time I was doing a word study on where it said author. And I like this definition. It said chief architect. I like that. Because I like building. I like blueprints and schematics. And you're like, you're a nerd. Maybe. But I like that stuff. I like to see something on paper. Because when I look at, let me say it like this. And this is what I mean by having a heart of, a heart of faith. I can look at something on paper that's two-dimensional. 
It's flat. I can draw something out. It's flat. And as long as I'm looking down, it's flat. But when I look up, it's in 3D. I see something that is not by faith. But in my heart and in my mind's eye, it is. I can see it. And not everybody's wired like that, but I am. I can draw something, and I'm not even a good drawer, so I need a ruler, and I make my line straight, and everything's got to be mostly, D's got to be good, but, but I can see it. I mean, we've renoed homes. People come in, they're like, oh, man, your kitchen's nice. Yeah, but I saw it before it was ever there. There were walls and things in the way, and there were things that no one else could see, but I had a picture in my heart of what I knew it could be. No one else could see it. And it took a process and it took faith to get me from what it was to what it is today. But the picture in me never changed. I knew it in my heart. You know, and I'm using that as a natural example. But the same is true for you even in this moment. When you look at it on paper, you may think, oh man, I don't know about this and this seems this and this seems that. But look up with an eye of faith and begin to ask God to give you eyes to see, to get a picture of what He's doing beyond just what you see right here. Because when you look up, you need to have eyes of faith. And it's exactly what He says here. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus. Look, I would have told you this four years ago when I came. You better not be watching me. Don't trust me. Not because I don't trust myself, but I'm not the Savior. I know that better than anybody. I am unqualified for that role. I am unqualified to be the object of faith or of trust. Unqualified. Now, I love Pastor Jason, but guess what? He's unqualified for that as well. You're like, are you saying I shouldn't trust him? No. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, if, if you're dependent on another human being, you're already in trouble. Give you just an example. Well, if you're leaving, I ain't coming to church anymore. Were your eyes on me all along? Yeah, but I like you. I don't know him. You didn't know me four years ago either. Just being honest. Well, I don't know. He's different. Good. Maybe he needs to be different. You're like, well, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but. The heart of faith says, God, I'm going to trust you. and I'm going to watch you do something amazing. I just want to make sure I'm a part of it. I don't want to be like those Israelites who got banned from their promise because of their unbelief. I want to be like Joshua and Caleb. The man, let's go and let's possess. Let's take what God is giving to us. We're not going to sit back and wait. Nope, it's ours. God's going to work. God's going to do. God's going to move on our behalf. And we're going to do everything that God has called us to do in this community. And way beyond. But it's going to require faith. It's going to require faith. It's the only way God works. If it doesn't require faith, it's not God. It's just the reality. God has never asked me to do one thing in my entire life that I thought, I can do that. 
I mean, just the whole idea of even getting saved. I'm like, yes, I got saved. And then I started reading about sanctification. I'm like, Dad, come it. God, I thought you did all this. I thought I was saved. Everything was good. And God says, my part's the saving. The sanctification's with you. You're like, what does sanctification mean? That means you're growing into your salvation. That would be the way I would say it. And it's a process. It's a change of attitudes, a change of mindsets, a change of habits in some ways. Some character things need to get worked on and the help of the Holy Spirit, but he's a helper, not a doer, right? Well, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus because it's all about him. At the end of the day, everything's about him. Because everything that we'll ever do, I mean, you know, we're not going to go to heaven with like our spiritual resume and be like, Jesus, aren't you proud? No, it's quite the opposite. The Bible says that we're going to take our crown, which represents our life, the substance of it, and we're going to come and what? Put them at his feet. And we're going to bow and we're going to worship matters for him. Why? Because all of this stuff doesn't matter. He's all that matters. That's why it tells us, keep your focus on him. Why? He's the one who's building. He's the one developing. He's the one moving us forward. He's the one that all of this is for. That's how you run with endurance. That's how you run with patience. What? You keep your focus. No, I want to be like Joshua and Caleb. I want you to be Joshua and Caleb. I want to see where God takes this thing. And in a few years, we're all there going, holy cow. Who would have thought? Would have never imagined this. That means it's probably the Lord. It wasn't just of our own mental working out, figuring out, manipulating things. I don't ever want to stand in a place where I'm like, we did this. I want to stand back and say, we did a little, but God did a lot. God did a whole lot with our little bit. Isn't God good? Isn't God faithful? And that's the opportunity that we have. So I want to encourage you this morning with this. I want to challenge. I shouldn't even say encourage. I want to challenge you with it. Punch you in the face with it. Like, well, why? Because I don't want you backing into this moment. I don't want you just sliding in like, well, we're going to see. You can leave your IC in the seat you're sitting in when you get up this morning. You say, well, what are you asking me to do? I'm asking you to get up with a heart full of faith saying whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, I'm going to do. Because I believe that there's people worth saving. I believe there's hurting people worth healing. I believe there's lost people that need salvation. I believe that I live in a broken city that needs, that needs restoration. I believe that I live in a nation that's in decline, but yet God will move and God will do something in a great way. But it starts in our own heart. It starts with us. Don't try to pray for something for somebody else that you haven't received in yourself first. Like, oh, I'm just praying that God will heal some people. Yeah, but are you broken? Because God will heal you. Oh, man, we we need to, to restore hope. Yeah, but do you have hope? Don't be false advertising to people about who God is. Tell them, oh, God's doing this, God will do that. But yet, in your own life, you haven't even experienced that. No, let it become something in you. 
And then when people say, well, how do you know God will do that? Oh, because he did it for me. Let me tell you. Oh, God healed me. I don't believe God heals anymore. Well, I'm sorry. I got some reports and I can tell you this and this and this. And God healed my body there. And the doctor said this. And then I went back and they're like, we don't know what happened. But, oh, I can't really argue with that. I understand. But if you're sick, could I pray for you? God wants to heal you too. We don't have to be arrogant. We don't have to be cocky. We don't, none of that. We just get to be people. And we get to love people around us. And we get to encourage people around us. And, and God's going to do a great thing through you. God's going to use you in a great way. But it requires faith. So you've got to have that heart, that mentality, that, that faith in you. That just says, God, man, I, I'm ready. Put me in, coach. Put me in. I'm not going to go sit on the end of the bench with my head down saying, please don't pick me, please don't pick me, please don't pick me. Please don't call, please don't ask, please, 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 just don't, just leave me alone. Obviously, it's football season and, you know, I always think it's interesting at the end of the game when you've got all these guys who have been playing so hard this whole game and then the skinniest, smallest guy on the whole team comes running out there. (laughs) Let's kick the ball. Everybody wants to be the kicker when he kicks a game-winning field goal, right? Everybody that stands go nuts and, you know, things are going crazy. LSU and Auburn last week was a good example of that. Right down the middle. So it's just beauty. It's good and we win and let's go home. And, uh, but you know, I think many times God wants us to be like that guy, like the kicker that kicks the game-winning field goal, but we're sitting on the end of the bench going, please don't call me. Please, God, please just leave me alone. And God's saying, but I've got a moment for you. I've got this moment set up just for you right now. And you're like, yeah, but I don't know how to kick. I'll help you. Yeah, but God, I I don't know. I I just can't. And God said, if you will just step into the moment. Just step into it. Don't don't pull back. Don't pull away. Don't just kind of shrink into yourself. Lean into it and say, God, you better know what you're doing. Because I am scared out of my mind. Good. That means you're dependent upon God. What a great place to be. What if I fall? Go read Psalms 91. It says he watches over you to protect you in all of your ways. It says that he gives his angels charge over you. In other words, he gives them responsibility. If they fall, it's your fault. I don't know what it's like to be in trouble with God if you're an angel. I don't want to find out. But the Bible says he gives them charge over you. Hey, you're responsible for them. So lean into this moment. Don't run off. Don't try to hide out. Well, I'm just going to slip in late so I ain't got to talk to nobody. And, I, you know, I don't want them to ask me to do anything. And I, you know, when they start, you know, like when, when Adam or whoever starts coming to the play, I'm just going to go ahead and slip out because, you know, I don't want to have to talk to nobody at the end. And, you know, show up a little bit early. Be friendly. Meet people. Talk to them. Guess what? Because we're all part of family anyways. It's not a new family next week. It's the same one you've always had. That's the truth. Because we're all part of the body of Christ. It's just going to look a little different. It's just going to look a little different. There's going to be people you don't know. 
That's okay. It's okay. Why? Because this is something that God is doing. And it's for your blessing. It's for your benefit. It's for really to, to be, bring increase into your life. You're like, yeah, but I don't know. You, that's where trust comes in. You just got to trust the Lord. So that's my challenge to you this morning. Be people of faith. Not of unbelief, not of doubt, not of pulling back. Nope. Faith people lean in. Uh, but I don't know. Lean in. Lean in. Because that's where you're going to see God do some great stuff. That's where you're going to see God use you to do some things that you thought, man, I, I never would have guessed this. I never would have put myself in this place, in this situation. But yet, man, I stepped into it and the, and the grace of God was there. The grace of God. See, so many times I think we, we lose sight of God's grace in our life and we think, well, I can't do that. Yeah, that's why you need God's grace. That's his ability on you to do it. I mean, I know y'all don't think this, but I can't do what I'm doing right now without the grace of God. Left to myself, this is not good. That's why every week, every time I approach a pulpit, I have spent some time in prayer saying, God, I need you. I need you. It's not just, I mean, I want you, but I need you. There's a difference. Want you means you're optional. Need you says, I'm in trouble if you don't show up. We've got to learn how to step into those places where we're not confident. Why? Because that's where God's grace is. Like, yeah, but I need the grace first. You're not going to find it there. That's called comfort. God does not care one ounce about our comfort. Quite the opposite. He says, I need you uncomfortable. I like you uncomfortable because you pray more when you're uncomfortable. You talk to me more when you're uncomfortable. I kind of like that. But when we're uncomfortable, that's where we find grace too. God's ability is waiting for us. So would you stand this morning? I want to pray.